0: and welcome to episode six of Beyond the Veil. Thank you guys for being patient during our brief week off. I was very sick with a cold and I spent my time laying in bed with my sweet dog Ellie and we are now back on track. I'm feeling a lot better. So again, thank you for your patience. So welcome to any new listeners. If you don't know, Beyond the Veil is a podcast all about Harry Potter and mental health. We're dedicated to telling the stories of Potter fans from around the world. If Harry Potter has helped you with your mental health, get through a difficult time, helped you overcome an obstacle, I would love to talk to you as a guest on the podcast. And please visit our website to find out how you can submit your story to us, with your name or anonymously. This week, I am so excited to share my interview with Sarah Olivares. Sarah is an old friend of mine and a mental health professional, sharing her personal stories of Harry Potter. I am really excited for you guys to hear this. So here we go.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Veil, everybody. Uh, Today I am here with Sarah Olivares. Sarah, I'm so excited to have you on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Um, Let's get started by you just telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you like to do, anything you want to share.
2: Yeah, um, so my name is Sarah. Um, I'm a licensed chemical dependency counselor in the state of Texas. Um, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, with my husband and my dog, Sophie.
1: Wonderful. Um, so what sort of... uh. <clears throat> What if you would share some of the Potter information about yourself, like your Hogwarts house, your Patronus, anything you like?
2: Sure. Um, I am a Hufflepuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I identify with any one particular house, um, but uh, I would. I, I haven't thought too much about my Patronus just because I feel like that's a hard thing. It's kind of like your barger, like it's probably going to change depending on the day. Um, And so I kind of, uh, that's one of those never going to know type of things. Um, My uh, favorite Harry Potter book would probably be Deathly Hallows, I think, and same for Mm -hmm. the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I started getting into Harry Potter when I was nine. Um, It was right after the Sorcerer's Stone came out um, in the United States, uh, which was, just uh, like life-changing at that age, um, <laughs> and my sister and I growing up were were big fans, and that was like the one big thing we'd do together, so.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so let's kind of dive into our topics for today. Mm-hmm. Um, starting off, we're kind of talking about something that has a social justice intersection. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we live in a world where society has a lot of preconceived ideas and beliefs about people for one reason or another these can be based on race gender sexual identity a lot of other different things and sometimes we start to believe these stereotypes even about ourselves and one way that we can experience this is through internalized misogyny Um, so can you kind of talk to us about what internalized misogyny is and specifically how you have kind of how you dealt with it when you were younger.
2: Sure so I guess as growing up in the 90s there was like a lot that was better um, than you know previous decades like things were starting to kind of maybe move in a better direction by the time I was growing up in the 90s but um, I do remember like a lot of what I watched growing up Um, really shaped how I thought of like women and what was possible for women you know and um, I think kids material tends to be even more um, even more polarized than anything else because we just we don't think of kids as being able to like handle nuance or whatever Um, Mm -hmm. and so I do remember there being like a lot of a lot of stereotypes still that were sort of left over from previous generations i guess and um you know so there were a lot of like the disney princesses and things where, like i remember very early thinking like i don't really want to be these people and like i'm never i'm never gonna look like them i'm never do you know what i mean and so yeah there was that and then there were also like when i was a kid the, the character that i identified the most with as far as like disney was like aladdin You know, like, (laughs) I I remember thinking that the characters that I wanted to be who were like strong and smart and capable and all these things tended to be like the male characters. Or you would have this other thing that would happen where you would have maybe like the Eliza Thornberry character or like Mulan, where it seems, or Helga Pataki is another one, um, like where it seems like they had to kind of voice disdain for anything girly or they had to behave more like a boy in order to be like characters that had agency and not, you know and I, I know that the logic there was wanting to show little girls that they can do anything that boys can do but it kind of went this other direction where um, like traditionally feminine qualities were kind of uh, d- d- demeaned I guess do you know what I mean so like yeah. I guess um the characters that, like, my little sisters are growing up with, they're 11 and 8 right now. Um, They're growing up with, like, Elsa and Tiana and Moana and Merida, and so these are, like, they're female and they're strong and they're capable, but they're also all of those things because they possess, like, these traditionally feminine qualities, like, they value compromise and communication and community and mercy, and they're feminine, but they're not... um, I don't know, they're not weak, they're not, they're not, um, I I remember growing up with a feeling of, like, I want to be Aladdin, you know, like, I knew very early, like, my body was never going to be, like, a warrior's body, you know, I was never going to be able to, like, do whatever that parkour is that Aladdin does in his movie, (laughs) but I was also never going to look like Ariel, you know what I mean, like, and that leaves you feeling, like, really sort of dissociated from your body.
1: Yeah experiencing all of this these kind of uh I would call them mixed messages except the message seems to be pretty simple in that uh there's just there's not a lot of opportunity for a woman uh, Mm -hmm. to for a a girl to be anything besides a princess and if you can't be a princess then what are you right
2: um yeah and feeling like yeah like there's I don't know if you remember, there was this episode of Roseanne like way back in the day where Darlene is telling, she's like doing a poem in front of the class and there was one that was like too short to be quarterback, too plain to be queen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I feel that Darlene. I get that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's no space for uh, anybody in between these two extremes. How do you think that these uh, these media, like these examples of media affected kind of your mental health and the choices that you made about your future
2: i i think we all kind of dealt with that on some level like i remember by like 14 or 15 girls i knew were saying things like oh i only have guy friends because girls are too much drama or Mm -hmm. like i'm not like most girls so i only hang out with guys or something like that and you never heard a guy say anything like (laughs) that you know and i think we were all sort of trying to disassociate ourselves from like these stereotypical depictions of girls and women because we just didn't really identify with it and we didn't want to be mistaken for that, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't real. It was kind of like this collective representation of women that would make it into like TV shows and movies and things like that. But it wasn't actually what human women were like, you know, and I think a lot of girls still kind of struggle with, that self-hate as they kind of see like how society sort of thinks of them like either infantilizes them or objectifies them or on the other end of things like forces them to change right you know what i mean and women are are, like twice as likely i think to be diagnosed with like depression and anxiety and i'm sure there's a lot of factors that go into that but when you, you grow up sort of trained to believe in your own powerlessness kind of or to think of yourself as like when you are having all of these strong likable admirable qualities you're kind of borrowing them from men and you're trying to think that anything you do will be like in spite of who you are and not because of who you are right you know and I think men kind of suffer from these things too because like they don't feel like exhibiting any of those like traditionally feminine characteristics which are good things yeah it's like the not the right way to be the main character in your story. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. There's boxes placed around everybody, and right. I see how uh, the Harry Potter books might have provided a counterexample for that. Mm, yeah. Um,
2: yeah, for sure. I I remember I have this like really vivid flashbulb memory of um, being in my elementary school library. And I grabbed Chamber of Secrets off the off the bookshelf because I think Sorcerer's Stone was taken and I just wanted one of them because somebody had just told me that JK Rowling was a girl. Oh. <laughs> and I remember like I didn't know why, but I was like so proud and I was like, one of me yeah. did something this big, you know, and even boys like Harry Potter and I remember thinking that was just so cool and so funny. Like boys are reading a book by a girl that'll show them, you know, like, I don't know what kind of anger I had as a child, but like, I remember thinking like, that's amazing, you know? And that was like, that was, that was like the, the first time of, cause I had already seen the movie, but I, I think I was just like, ah, oh, just wait for the other movies. But I really wanted to read the book that because I was like, oh, girl, this is amazing. Right. you know, And like, the feeling of like possibility like that was just that was really cool yeah
1: absolutely um, <laughs> I'm I just I'm remembering you know having similar experiences just uh, the character of Hermione deeply affected myself I know and many right. other people I've spoken to um, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Hermione
2: yeah, so I I mean, Hermione is great because she's she is a lot of different things and she's very like in touch with the fact that she's a girl. She doesn't like she's proud to be a girl. And that was like the first time for me that there were all these great things because of and not even though. Mm. Do you know what I mean like that? And I think Ron especially over the course of the series starts to more attribute her positive qualities to the fact that she's a girl and isn't just like, Oh, you know, you're great and all, but you're still a girl, you know? (laughs) So that was kind of, it's kind of funny to see how he changes over the series too, but she's like, she's intelligent. She's resourceful. She plans a lot of the things that the trio does together. Like all of the big things are like, she's kind of the mastermind behind. Um, I like that, um, the whole yule ball like fashion and makeup are not like her thing but when there's a good reason to do it she kind of lets herself enjoy it you know like when i was growing up my my sister liked um nice clothes and she was good at makeup and all these things and i remember thinking of those things as like shameful Mm -hmm. like anything that I, i i like identified me as a woman i felt like was was weakness or was embarrassing or something like that and i remember like really disliking girls for liking makeup or boys or things like that like i felt like they were they were letting themselves down in some way like that was how kind of twisted my my thinking had become about this like the only and and they're actually I, can't, I so I looked high and low for this quote before today, and I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> and so now I'm starting to question whether it exists or not. But I have a memory of a quote from J.K. Rowling where there was like some criticism about Hermione not being a very strong character, and about the the amount of giggling that different girls do in the books here and there and all of that. And um, her response was something like um, the some girls read books and some girls giggle and I reject the idea that the only right way to be a girl is to behave more like a boy. And it was one of those moments where it just kind of opened up a door in my brain where like there was this whole new way of thinking about things, you know, where there was, there was, it was like this invitation to um, start to value um, the things that girls do and the way that girls are and when I say girls I mean you know little girls women trans women like any and like I can't imagine how like if it was hard for me growing up in the 90s I can't imagine how difficult it was grow- it was to be growing up trans when Wait. it's finally okay to start talking about gender expression and you're there are still these boxes around like the right way to be a girl and the right way to be a boy Absolutely. you know and so her Hermione was a character who was like just very you know I don't know very simply herself and she she deals with like um, you know self-consciousness and thing and you know feeling insecure about her looks and all these different things that everybody goes through but it's her 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 being a girl gets to be a part of herself it's not um, uh, I almost like don't even have the vocabulary for this like it's it's not. It's neither highlighted nor like, you know, not a part of this. Like all the great things that she is like in spite of this, right. you know, it's just she was definitely a character that I could like identify with. And that helped me sort of um, be like accept myself as a girl more than I had before.
1: Absolutely. I think it's almost like um, she was the first real person in some ways that was a girl I had ever experienced and
2: like just a person yeah (laughs) yeah she cries when she's sad she fights when she's angry she's polite and proper but she's not afraid to get her hands dirty like she's (laughs) she's kind and compassionate with like the spew stuff but then she'll also punch Malfoy in the face exactly (laughs) you know and and she even like she punches Malfoy in the face because of her compassion for Hagrid and for Buckbeak you know and so it's her the things that she. Um, the things that society maybe kind of diminishes a little bit for you know being like weakness like compromise and mercy and family or like community and things like that you know what I mean and these are things that all men value too to some degree you know what I mean but they're they're not valued in the same way as like strength and you know like these I don't know does that kind of make sense like it's very hard to kind of talk about these things it's almost like we're still kind of lacking a vocabulary about it, but she's, yeah, like you said, just a whole person. All of these qualities exist in the same person and it, there's never, like, a conversation about it, you know? <laughs> there's never, like, but she's a girl and she's hitting somebody right. and just all all this kind of weirdness around it. It's just you feel what she's feeling and you would also want to hit mouth in the exactly. face, you know? <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Um, how do you think... T- having Hermione come into your life how do you think that that um, helped you out you know having a role model like that in your adolescence
2: um really like just helping me to be comfortable with myself like it, it there were characters that I wanted to be like you know, all throughout my childhood that I was sort of, I was sort of striving to be more like them in different situations, the way that kids do, you know, like what would Mulan do in this situation? Yeah. That kind of thing. (laughs) But, um, for, for Hermione, it was really just like, I don't know, just, it was more about possibility. Like I can be, I can be these things and I can be these things and I don't have to worry about, um, whether something that I like is inconsistent with what I am, right? you know, or something that I think or feel or want to do or be is not something that I can do because of what I am. You know what I mean? And so just kind of being able to take things one at a time and say, like, I want for, I want this or I want to do this and you know, is it possible or is it not instead of is this something that people like me do? Right. You know what I mean? So just having that That comfort with it, I guess. Yeah,
1: so what we're kind of seeing with this is this uh, It's a kind of unique opportunity to look at that intersection place of mental health and Mm -hmm. social justice and in your experience how is Mm -hmm. internalized misogyny or Anything of the like, how is that harmful to mental health?
2: Oh, I mean, I think, I think part of the reason you and I are like kind of struggling to find a vocabulary is because it's it's a lot of times like not even something that we really consciously um, are able to put a finger on. The the traditional female character um, was either not you. Or it was something that society clearly hated. There's sort of this uh, this um, binary that you're kind of forced to follow. And I felt like for for the boys that I knew growing up, growing up, they had characters that they a- idolized that maybe they didn't completely um, identify with because they were there were qualities that they couldn't live up to, or you know, there were like very idealized um, versions of masculinity um but the the qualities that they were striving for were um clearly appreciated by society Mm -hmm. you know so it was sort of having a direction to go whereas for girls it often felt like "Ah, man i can't win here (laughs) (laughs) you know And if you're a trans girl, I don't even know how you go about navigating that. Right. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think that really has an an effect on you growing up in how you feel like you belong, um, which is a big part of feeling safe and feeling like it's okay to explore who you are, is if you feel like you have a a sense of belonging, and then also um, feeling like you have a direction for your life, feeling like if I were to try, I could... I could accomplish something, you know, and I do remember feeling like this really unidentifiable sense of, of sadness as a child, you know, that still kind of hits me on occasion. Like, um, I think most recently, a couple of years ago, it occurred to me, um, I think I'm never going to be able to backpack alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like that was always a dream of mine growing up. And then it kind of just hit me out of nowhere a couple of years ago. Like, that's, ever going to be something I can do I mean I know women do it but I I think I would never feel safe and I would never be able to enjoy myself Mm -hmm. in and I feel like if something bad happened to me um I would be the cautionary tale that people told their their daughters you know like don't be stupid like Sarah um, and so you know they're just the, you get those feelings every once in a while as a girl or as um, as a trans person as an LGBT member as members of a different race or ethnicity where you just kind of have this sense of limitation in your life you know where it feels like trying is not going to be worth it because it's just you know um, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere you know that it's feelings of like your life is kind of rounded off at the corners and you're, you know, you're kind of stuck in this box and you don't really have any control over that, you know? And so that like, and then I hear that, you know, women are diagnosed with depression, anxiety, twice as much as, twice as often as men. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, that fits. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That kind of makes sense to me. So.
1: On the topic of mental health. Uh, I know you told me you were recently diagnosed with depression um, and that the concept mm-hmm. of dementors, has held a lot of personal significance for you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've presumably had depression for a lot of my life, but it it, um, it hadn't occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with how much I had internalized growing up, not just about being a girl, but a lot of different things. Um, because I do remember I went through like a, a pretty significant um, like period of depression um, when I was like 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of started to come out of that when I was uh, when I was about 14. And um, uh, so, so it's been kind of a thing throughout my life. Um, so I it, my diagnosis is major depression with the qualifier of episodic. Mm-hmm. Um, which basically means like it kind of comes and goes. Um, I think people who experience depression on like a, a a constant low level type of depression, you know, probably have a very different experience from what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the Dementors especially kind of um, really. I feel like episodic depression and dementors is like, those are like, it's a very good metaphor. Mm -hmm. Um, Lupin says in book three, like, even muggles feel their presence, though they can't see them. And I think that was J.K. Rowling's like kind of subtle way of saying like, depression in the muggle world is when a dementor is nearby and you can't see them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. And uh, she even, I think she even said that dementors were like, kind of informed by her own battle with depression you know and some of the similarities of like dementors and depression like the effects are um like it's often compared to drowning um when you're in that state it it like emphasizes the worst things that ever happened to you so it's it's like i like to tell people like it's kind of like asthma you know it's not that there's not air (laughs) you know it's that you can't take the air in you know and so when you have depression it's like the worst things that ever happened to you are really big in your mind mm-hmm. um and there can be lots of good things happening for you that you just can't seem to take in you know you're not metabolizing the good stuff only the bad stuff is kind of taking taking up your your mental space um there's like numbness and paralysis or like difficulty moving Um, And when you're in it, it's hard to picture that you'll ever be happy again. You know what I mean? And so that's like reading that now, I have just like after kind of learning more about depression and then, you know, just recently actually getting my own diagnosis, like it it completely changes how I think about it. Um, And I was rereading Prisoner of Azkaban recently and Harry does this thing where Um, he's learning to fight the dementors in um, Lupin's office and um, he, Lupin's like, you know, if you want to stop for now, that's totally fine and then Harry's like stuffing chocolate frogs in his mouth and he's like, no, we gotta keep going, we gotta do this (laughs) and and I laughed when I read that because that's like, that feels like me when I have been depressed for a few weeks and then I kind of, it'll happen in like maybe six week cycles, you know, and then I'll come out of it and I'm like let's go and like trying to make up for lost time and trying to push myself harder you know which is not not how you're supposed to treat yourself if you have depression by the way um but yeah so it's like I I can see a lot of um I can see a lot of similarities there like Harry also after he has like a fainting Spell from the Dementors. Like people are very careful around him, and like don't want to set him off, and don't want to hurt his feelings. And he's like wants them to act normally. Like (laughs) this isn't, yeah. Like okay, the Dementors happened, and it was a thing, but it's not happening right now. Can we just move on, you guys? And that's like, I don't know. That's that's a familiar feeling to me. Like that's that's not where we are right now. Let's just move on, you know. And so it like it kind of affects your ability to really conceptualize your sense of self while you're in it like nobody is only the bad things that have happened to them you know but when when there's when there's a dementor nearby like when you're when you're kind of in the middle of a depressive episode you know you're um it feels like the bad stuff is all there is you know it feels like that's that's me Um, is the things that happened when I was a child, the things that happened when I was a teenager, the mean things that people said, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the things that I might be struggling with or failing at right now, like that's me, you know, and it's not accurate and it's not the whole picture, but that's how it feels in those moments. You know, um, the other similarity is that chocolate. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Um, Sometimes getting a diagnosis can kind of. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it hurts. Uh, either way, I know it can change your perspective on things. A lot of times, um, mm-hmm. did you feel differently about dementors before and after your diagnosis?
2: Um, to be honest, like I, I think I hadn't given it a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I had read a long time ago that um, J.K. Rowling had kind of based Dementors on her own history with depression, Um, and then I had kind of guessed that there were sort of stretches in my life where I had felt depressed, Um, but the, like, when we talk about mental disorders, uh, we're really saying, like, there's this normal human behavior that has been taken to such an extreme that it's interfering with somebody's life and relationships. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, everybody gets sad, but, but to a certain point, it becomes depression. You know, and so I think of what a lot of people with depression or anxiety or different kinds of mood disorders, what, what the, the internal dialogue is not always something is wrong. You know, the internal dialogue is often like, i'm just you know not a good person i'm just not good at being a person Mm -hmm. you know i'm just things are harder for me than everybody else because i suck a little bit you know and like that's that's how like these are part of the the cognitive distortions you know where you're you're not thinking of yourself as depressed you're thinking of yourself as useless or something like that you know so i think that was a big thing that um, the diagnosis kind of changed for me is I'm maybe no longer like really trying to push myself through um, those periods. I'm kind of like uh, going easy on myself. Like, okay, if I'm depressed, I need to be nice to myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I need to eat my chocolate. You yes. I need to talk to people, you know, and that kind of thing. And um, I think in the books, Harry has a lot of feelings of like, um, why does this happen to me? And this actually, I'm gonna try not to cry while I talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Lupin says, uh, to Harry after Harry says, like, uh, like why, why, why had I, uh, why had he gone to pieces like that when nobody else had? And um, am I just, you know? And Lupin says it has nothing to do with weakness. The Dementors affect you worse than others because there are horrors in your past that others don't have you know and so like when you're feeling depressed like this is a time to be nice to yourself like there are reasons that there are good reasons your brain has for worrying about the things that you worry about and for um responding the way that it is um you know there there are things that have happened to you even if they're hard to identify necessarily even if it's just a a simple brain chemistry imbalance which is the case for some people you know there are things that there are reasons you have depression you know it's not it's not your fault you know you could just as easily have had asthma or diabetes or or something you know like in kind of learning to think about it in that way like there's a reason this is happening to you it's not your fault Yeah. this is the time to be nice to yourself and take care of yourself and ask for help if you need it right
1: and I think that's so important thank you for sharing that yeah um You mentioned chocolate and being kind to yourself. (laughs) Um, Is that kind of how, how do you cast your own patronus against the dementors of depression?
2: Um, So I'm, uh, I'm a counselor. I'm sorry, I'm a mental health professional. And that I think has been, that's been a big deal to me is like, um, when I have clients who are dealing with depression, like I think so many times, Knowing what's going on is is half the mm-hmm. battle, you know. When I stopped thinking of myself as just not good at stuff, you know, and yeah. started thinking of myself as like, okay, there's a thing happening in my brain right now, you know, um, so much more made sense, and I started to be able to identify patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, a period of depression will usually follow a period of like really, really high stress. Um, and it doesn't even have to be bad stress. Like for a lot of people, they get depressed after getting married or after giving birth, which is like very confusing and upsetting. Like I should be happy. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel numb and awful? You know, like that's it's confusing. Yeah. And so knowing what's going on, you can start to identify patterns. You can start to prevent uh, the depression from getting really bad or sometimes from setting in all together. You know, you can start to talk to other people about their experiences and that's something that's been really um just really fulfilling for me is being able to kind of help educate other people and like you might be experiencing some depression right now and um you know that's completely normal and here's why it's happening and here's what you can do um that's been you know that's just like that's been everything to me that's been really cool and and if you're not you know a, a mental health professional you can still like do that for your friends you can talk to people I think the more that we talk about it you know you kind of see that with like um, people talking about their their sexual assault and things like that when they never used to Um, when we start to talk about these things to each other we don't feel alone with them Um, we feel like um, it can get better Mm -hmm. you know we have people to lean on Um, so I think not being ashamed of what's going on with you um, and letting other people know, reaching out to people, even if they don't deal with the same things you do, you know, um, there are people in your life who love you and, and want to help and want to understand, you know. And so, educating yourself about what's going on with you and helping other people to educate themselves, I think, is just a really great way to um, to help yourself and help other people. Absolutely,
1: you know? I think that's beautiful. That's that's part of what we're trying to do here, and I'm uh'm grateful I'm grateful just to hear that
2: <laughs> Yeah yeah for sure
1: um so we're coming up on the end of our time here I just want to mm-hmm. know if you have any final words of wisdom or advice or anything you'd like to share with all of us
2: um I think you know take care of yourself be nice to yourself um identify what in your life makes you feel, like chronically stressed or disconnected um, reach out to other people reach out to your doctor reach out to your your family or your friends like your you know the um, the it's not the dementors but it's the boggart but uh, you know in that class where they're learning how to fight the boggart you know Mm -hmm. they um, they talk about like it's always easier to defeat one if you have lots of people around you you know and I think that's that's really important like nothing is as scary when you have people to help you with it you know so reaching out to people who care about you you know reaching out to the people in your life who might be struggling like i think that's that's something everybody can do you know no matter where they are
1: absolutely well sarah thank you so much for sharing all of that it was wonderful to have you on the show
2: yeah thank you i had fun
1: (laughs) me too
0: All right, everyone, that was my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, thank you again for sharing with all of us. We all have stories, but some are more difficult to tell than others. We want everyone to have a chance to share, especially those who don't want to share their names or their voices. In today's Whisper segment, we're sharing the story of someone who's looking for the light. I have been looking for light spaces and lighting my own lanterns every time the eerie silence of darkness tries to choke me. There's nothing scarier than getting trapped in the dark dungeons built around you by yourself and people around you. Dark endings closing in, toppling your senses, you feel the ground swimming under your pace. But then, even a sunset is lit by a lot of color and the light is enough for you to hold on till the sun rises again through the dark night. It's about finding your light and turning it on, because happiness is found in the darkest of times if only one remembers to turn on the light. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Episode 6 of Beyond the Veil. A big thanks to our guests and to anybody who submitted a whisper. If you want to be on the show as a guest or share your story anonymously, we would love to have you on. Please fill out the submission form on our website, which is linked in the show notes below. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, it would mean so much if you would share this with other people who you think might enjoy it. And maybe leave us a rating, whatever works for you guys. We just appreciate that you're listening. Join me next time for another conversation in the headmaster's office. This has been Madison. I'll see you next time.